0: Bibles with me then uh, to the book of Genesis. Where's my chapter? Well, there's a number of chapters this morning, chapter twenty-five. And we are continuing with our series on the oaths of God. Uh, We did several sermons on the Abrahamic Covenant, and in fact we're still on the Abrahamic Covenant, but now Uh, We're picking it up from the death of Abraham, and we're looking at, uh, well, Isaac and a little bit at Jacob this morning. But I'm calling attention to this uh, the trivium, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this phrase, which is uh, so important to the biblical story. It's so important because it kind of locks things in. To the biblical story, every time you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then it kind of locks you into the covenant that God made with all three of them, and of course from, with Israel, as uh, the nation that comes from them. But it also shows you that God is a God of His promises, a God who remembers. He, who, during the, you know, the thousands of years that have passed, Since Abraham, Isaac and Jacob died, God has remembered his covenant with them. And even though he has not fulfilled that covenant in all of the terms in which uh, he gave those oaths in uh, chapter 12 through chapter 22, we know that he's going to. We know that he is as good as his word so let us uh, let us have a look at Isaac here for uh, just a time, and uh, this is uh, Genesis chapter twenty-five. In just a few verses, we see that Abraham takes a new wife, Keturah, in verse one, and. Um, Verse five, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. That's because Isaac is the son of the promise. Then verse seven says, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. You say, I don't believe Abraham lived for 175 years. Well, that's your problem. You know, of course he did. The Bible says he did. How? Well, perhaps I, I don't know, but Noah lived for a lot longer than that. Perhaps there's something to do with ultraviolet rays or something that that uh, you know destroy the cells and so on. But um, he lived for that long, and Abraham breathed his last, verse eight, eight, and died at a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people, and was buried by his sons Isaac and Ishmael. So Abraham dies, but the covenant that God made with Abraham doesn't die. The covenant that God made with Abraham speaks about a people, a nation, descendants coming from him. And God was very clear about that. So clear that Abraham had Kind of a struggle believing at first that God actually really did mean what He said, that, that the child of promise would come from Sarah, who was getting on in it in years. She was 90 years old when she had a son. No problem for God. And Isaac, well there he is, you know, he came along just as the right time, when God had uh, God's time was uh, was right, and Isaac there was proof that God means exactly what He says. And sometimes we can't figure out how God's going to do something, and therefore we have a temptation to change what God says in order to make it fit our perception of things our understanding of what's possible, we shouldn't ever do that because it's not down to us. If, if God makes an oath to do something, who's it on? You know, it's not as if that we worship a God who says, well, I, I, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then uh, you know, a little bit later he thinks, well, I've kind of uh, put my foot in my mouth there because I'm not sure I've got the power to do this. I'm not sure I understand how I'm going to do this. That's not God. God knows what he's going to do. And God knows when he's going to do it and how he's going to do it. It's not a problem for him. The problem is often with us. Jesus said to his disciples, you know, the son of man is going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to be, be betrayed and he's going to die. And the third day is going to be raised again. And his disciples had trouble with that. Some of them didn't even understand what he was talking about. They couldn't compute it. But it happened just as Jesus said. People don't normally rise from the dead. Jesus did. Not only did he rise from the dead, he didn't stumble around the the, the tomb uh, like some resuscitated half dead man. He rose gloriously from the dead. Defeating death. Doing just what God said he was going to do. So Abraham dies, goes to be with the Lord. But the covenant continues. Isaac marries Rebekah. And um, Isaac has um, has the same issue of faith that Abraham had with Sarah. Look at verse 21, Genesis 25:21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, just like Sarah was. It's like, well, let's give up then. Let's give up on on all of God's promises because obviously God gave me a wife who's barren, so obviously she can't have a child, so obviously the covenant can't mean what it says apart from it does. And, And Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren, and then she wasn't barren. And Rebecca was barren, and then she wasn't barren, because of God. And so Isaac prays, he pleaded. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. Well there you go, you see. Notice here the interaction, okay? God had made the promise, but that didn't mean that Isaac didn't need to pray about it. Didn't have to seek God about it. You know, you know, the Christian life is not completely let go and let God. Not in that way anyway. It's not like we. there's nothing that we uh, need to do. God's going to manage the whole thing. No, we need to do our part. We need to pray. We need to serve God. We need to obey God. If we mess up, and who doesn't mess up, we need to confess our sins to God and believe that we are cleansed and believe that our relationship is restored again. That's our part. Prayer, studying scripture, attending church, serving in the church because we're serving God. All of these things, this is what we are supposed to do as a response to God's grace that has come to us and God's promises that have been made to us. God does the big stuff. He does all of the heavy lifting. He guides us through our lives. He gets us over those seemingly insurmountable obstacles that we come up against. God is with us. In our lives, he makes something of our lives. And when we give ourselves over to him, and maybe we have to keep giving ourselves over to him because we mess up all the time. Yes. We can be quite sure that God will be faithful and God will use us in our lives down here. That's God's part. What's, what's Isaac's part here in this then? To plead with God. To plead with God. Not say, oh, well, you know, God's going to have to sort this one out. And there's no point in praying about it. No, his part is to pray to God as a creature of God, as a friend of God. In fact, I'm sure that, that Isaac not only uh, pleaded with God because his wife was barren, but he took hold of that covenant and he took it to God and said, look, you've made a covenant. You've made a covenant with Abraham and with me. In other words, he took God's word and he showed it to God. Said, God, you've said this. That's faith, isn't it? That's taking what God said and taking it to God and saying, look, you said this. And you're as good as your word. Do you think God thinks that we're impudent when we do that? That we're being rude? No, God is pleased. When we do that, because what, what are we doing? We're grabbing hold of his words and we're saying, Lord, you said this. But Abraham, sorry, but Isaac, notice here, was not allowed to freeload on the covenant made with Abraham. He had obstacles to his faith, too. Rebecca was barren. His faith has got to overcome that. Faith has got to overcome uh, sight and experience. In fact, it's, it's so important that that is what our faith is made up of. Faith does not limit God to what we have experienced, what we think we know. Faith believes God and goes to God and hopes in God. God granted his plea. And then later on, if you look at uh, chapter 26, it says that uh, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham and Isaac went to Abimelech king of the Philistines in Gerar then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I give all these lands and I will Perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And Isaac responded and saying, "Well, I'm not sure how you're going to do that." No, he didn't. Abraham didn't spiritualize this. This promise the the covenant, because he's reciting the covenant there, God, isn't he? The covenant hasn't changed. Abraham's dead, but the covenant hasn't changed. And when Isaac dies, as we will see, this same promise is repeated to Jacob. It doesn't change. And then a thousand years later, God repeats this. To the prophets, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, and it doesn't change. It only appears to change once you get into the New Testament. And then what people do is that they take the promises of the Old Testament and say, well, it doesn't really mean what it says, and the land is heaven, and Israel's the church, and they just turn everything upside down. In other words, they do exactly what I'm sure Isaac was tempted to do, and that is say, oh, well, God can't fulfill this literally. He must fulfill it in another way. This is a temptation Abraham had, isn't it? You don't think that he he uh, wanted to spiritualize what God said about uh, killing Isaac? but he didn't spiritualize him. He took God at his word, even though he couldn't make sense of it. Why? Because that is the path that faith takes. What does God say? God means what he says, particularly when he swears an oath to do it. That, therefore, is God's problem. My problem is not to figure out how God's going to do it. Okay. Don't expect ever to get a tap on the shoulder from God saying, look, you know, I made a promise here, but I'm not really sure I'm going to do this. Can any any pointers? God knows exactly what he's going to do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can come through on his word? Not exactly what he says. If there is a promise made in these covenants to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they haven't yet been fulfilled, then believe that they're going to be. 26.3. Dwell in this land. I will be with you and bless you. Well, there's a famine in the land. That doesn't, doesn't seem to be a good idea. But God says, stay. And so by faith, he stays. Not that he didn't mess up, verse 7. But at least he stays. So that's Isaac. He did not freeload on the promise to Abraham. He had his struggles. He had his obstacles. And they were his. What about Jacob? Because we have to look at Jacob. I have to confess that Jacob, of all of the saints in the Bible, I have a problem with Jacob. Okay? Don't like the guy. But we need to look at him. Let's have a look at Jacob and Esau, therefore. We have to go back to chapter 25 and uh, look at their birth. So picking it up in verse 21 again. Now, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his plea and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. The first that came out, verse 25, is Esau. He's the older. Then Jacob comes out. What this means is that Jacob, uh, that uh, Esau will serve Jacob, but, folks, not the individuals, not the individuals. Remember what uh, God said, two nations, two peoples, the peoples of Jacob, the peoples or nations connected to Esau. This has been, uh, this text has been misused because of a misunderstanding of the way Paul uses it in Romans 9 to teach that that Esau served Jacob. He never did. He never did. But the nations represented them will, uh, did and will in the future. So this was a prophecy. But how can that be? Because as the firstborn, who had the rights to the covenant with Abraham? Esau did. Do you see? Esau did. So God is again putting an obstacle in the way. He's putting something in the way for faith to get over. Why does God do that? Why does he just make make it plain sailing, you know? There are tests. There are uh, issues to do with life and faith. Things that I don't understand. They're beyond me. Yes. But no, no, no. It's not to do with faith. It's got to do with me being dim. But... It has to do here with us living in a fallen world and being, you know, taking the fall seriously. That things don't go right in this world. That things do get messed up. Sometimes pretty badly messed up. And that God has to come to the rescue. But in that time when we're right in that mess... That's when we have to trust God. That's when we have to be faithful to God. That's when we have to have hope in Him. And that's what uh, we see here, even in the person of Jacob, who's not the nicest guy around. So let's pick it up in verse twenty-nine. Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary and Esau said to Jacob please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary therefore his name was called Edom which means red but Jacob said sell me your birthright as of this day and Esau said look I'm about to die so what is this birthright to me Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. Notice how pointed Jacob is. He wants the deal done. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What was Esau despising? He was despising the covenant. He was despising the Abrahamic covenant because he was in line as the firstborn to receive all of the blessings. What is what is this thing to me? This covenant? You might as well say, Well, what is God's word to me? What is God's promise to me? I'm hungry. I'm sure he was. I'm sure, you know, maybe he was absolutely famished. He was, uh, you know, staggering into in the room there and uh, needed some sustenance. I'm sure he was having a hard time. But even at that extremity, to despise the word of God, the promise of God, and being willing to exchange it for a bowl of stew, lentil stew at that, shows that he was profane, and he's called profane in the book of Hebrews. Profane means that there's no interest in the things of God. You despise the things of God. You reject them. I don't like what Jacob did here. Okay? And I don't like a lot of things that Jacob does in the rest of the book of Genesis either. He is a supplanter, which is what the name means. He is um, sneaky and he's a liar and he's false. He's a coward. He's just not a nice guy. And he has a hard life because he's not a nice guy and because he's like that. Eventually, he wises up at the end of his life. But there is one thing to say about Jacob, and, and this stands out. And it's important that we separate the the really important part of Jacob from his character, the rest of his character. And that is Jacob had an eye for the word of God, for the promise of God. He wanted it. He wanted it. He took that covenant seriously. And if Esau, and, and it's, this is obviously not the first encounter that Jacob had had with Esau's despising his birthright, Jacob knew that he despised it, which is why this, this happened, this scenario happened. Jacob understood the prize of that covenant. And so he just said, yeah, you can have this soup. Just sell me a birthright today. Okay. It's no good to me anyway. Give me the soup. Ate the soup, went his way. It was nothing to Esau at all. Nothing. Nothing. Esau's a decent guy. You know, when we read about him, he's a fairly decent guy. But it doesn't matter if you're a nice guy and you despise the word of God, you're not a good guy. And you are certainly not going to inherit God's promises. You have to have an eye, an eye of faith in those promises Jacob did that. He did that. The next part, we're going to go to chapter 32 and look at the first use of the name Israel. The back story here is uh, that uh, Esau started to wise up as to exactly what he'd done. And uh, there's, there was another story about uh, uh, Jacob being crafty and stealing the blessing from Jacob, uh, from Isaac, sorry. And um, Jacob had to get going out of town pretty quickly. Esau was not happy with him. So Jacob went back east to Paddan Aram, which is the area, the Mesopotamian area, modern Iraq, where Abraham had come from. He got himself two wives because he was tricked and stayed there for a long time. And then after a lot of hassle, he came, he comes back and he's on his way back and he hears that Esau is on his way to meet him. So in preparation for that, we read in chapter 32, verse 1, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he uh, they called the name of that place Mahanaim. <clears throat> and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. That's modern day Jordan. And he commanded them saying, speak thus to my Lord Esau. this Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have all of this stuff. May I find favor in your sight. And then he sends his wives and he sends all of his flocks and everything else before him. And he is alone. And so we pick it up in verse uh, 21. So the present went on over before him and he himself lodged that night in the camp. And he arose that night. Oh, well, we can go actually a little bit forward, can't we? Let's go to, uh, oh, no, we, we can go there. He arose that night. And took his two wives and his two female servants and 11 sons and crossed over the four Jabbok. And he took them, sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go. For the day breaks. But he said I will not let you go. Unless you bless me. And he said to him. What is your name? And he said Jacob. And he said. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel. Means prince with God. For you have struggled with God. And with men. And have prevailed. Now. Who, the one who he's struggling with is the pre-incarnate Christ, I believe. God. And he names the place Peniel, the face, which means the face of God. It's a very strange story. I mean, there are other really strange stories to do with Jacob too. I mean, Jacob's ladder. I mean, how weird is that? But this one, he meets this man, And uh, they're wrestling for several hours. They're probably talking to each other while they're wrestling. Uh, Who knows what's going on here? Jacob has forged some kind of respect for him and wants to be blessed before he lets him go, even though Jacob's in some pain now. Jacob wants to know his name. Well, You'd want to know your name, this guy's name, wouldn't you? And uh, he doesn't tell him, but God wants to know Jacob's name. So Jacob tells him and and God takes that opportunity to do what he did with Abraham and rename him. And the name that he chooses is Israel. This is the first time that this word is used. Israel. But notice here how this continues. Your name, verse 28, shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank. So you have the first use of the term Israel for the person of Jacob, but right after that, you have the use of the term Israel for his descendants. Now why is this important? It's important because there are many, many promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and sometimes We forget that Jacob was renamed Israel. And therefore, there is a connection, you see, between the name Jacob and the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Israel. And it's an unbreakable connection. You can't speak about Israel without speaking about the Abrahamic covenant and all of those promises of descendants of land. And of them being a blessing to all of the peoples of the earth. God makes oaths. God means what he says. There are obstacles sometimes to believing that God means what he says. But God will have his will and his way and he will fulfill his word literally whether we believe him or not. The challenge is not to look at the obstacles. The challenge is not to look at the difficulties. The challenge is to take God's word at face value, and to believe that he knows each and every step in the future. He knows how it's going to end up. He knows that it's going to be exactly as he says it's going to be. And this is where I want to leave us with a little bit of an application for ourselves. God in the gospel has made specific covenant promises to you. When you celebrate, as I often remind you, when you celebrate the Lord's table, you're celebrating in that cup, what? The blood of the new covenant. What does that mean for you? What it ought to mean to you and to me is that you will be glorified. You will see God. You will experience eternal life and eternal bliss. You will experience what the Bible calls Shalom, an absolute peace that suffuses you and the world. You will know joy and all of your troubles and concerns will fall away forever. Why? Because he Means what he says. Just believe him. Particularly when it looks as though he can't do it the way that he said he's going to do it because there's too much in the way. Or that, you know, I, you're not sure how he's, this prayer is going to be answered. Just pray anyway. Let him be faithful to answer in the way that he's going to answer just trust him if if what I've said here isn't true it's not going to be possible to cast your cares upon Christ it's not going to be possible to be care uh, careful for nothing but in everything let your request be made known to God it's not going to be possible it's only possible folks if you believe that God means what he says. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we, we can't see ahead. We can only see what presents itself to us at this time. And sometimes we use that and we use our past experiences and our idea of what's probable. And what's not probable to limit you and your promises and to um, extinguish our faith or at least weaken our faith. At these times, Father, we ask your forgiveness and we also ask that you would remind us of your word to us. That you would remind us to cast all of our cares upon you, that you would remind us that we have a home in heaven. And that we have, there are great and wonderful and grand promises that we will enter into. We know that this is true because you have told us. Help, help that to be enough for us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Close with a word from First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it.